BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we have some breaking casting news to discuss. Krista Allen, best known to Days fans as Billy Reed from 1996 to 99, has been tapped to play Bold and Beautiful's Taylor Hayes, a role that had been played by Hunter Tylo since the character first appeared in 1990. Uh, so for what I heard, Hunter wasn't available for a long-term contract role and the show must have big plans for Taylor, so they had to go in a different direction. And I think Krista is just great casting. She certainly checks all the boxes needed for the role, and I feel she will be a great addition to the cast. Um, I covered days when Krista was on the show, and I remember her bringing a lot of energy to the set. And you know, it's been two years since we saw Hunter as Taylor, and Taylor has certainly missed a lot with both Steffi and Thomas. And with Sheila back in the mix, it will be good for Steffi to have the support from her mother. Yes, I agree. You know, I think the B&B canvas has been crying out for Taylor's presence for a good long while. I mean, Thomas has not exactly been a model citizen in her absence. And I I think uh, both of her children will benefit greatly from her presence. And, you know, on top of that, there is not only Taylor's decades-long entanglement with Bridge and Brooke, but she and Sheila have so much ugly history between them. I feel like fans have really been wanting to see Taylor's reaction to the realization that she and Sheila have a common grandson in Hayes. And if Hunter wasn't available, then I think a recast really was in order, and I'm very excited to see uh, Krista back on daytime. Uh, we have some comings to report for General Hospital also. Jeff Kober, who vacated the role of Cyrus earlier this year, will be making some more on-screen appearances. And with November sweeps right around the corner, fans can look forward to the return of Port Charles's beloved mayor, Laura, played by Jeannie Francis. Oh, yay. Well, speaking of November sweeps, the shows have a lot of big twists and turns planned. We have the full preview in our new issue. But quickly, on Bold and Beautiful, Deacon will turn Ridge and Brooke's house upside down, and Katie and Carter will grow closer, which I'm very into. Um, On Days of Our Lives, you'll see Marlena as the Devil Unleashed, which will test John and Marlena's love. Ben and Sierra will learn they're having a baby, and the truth about Paulina's connection to Lonnie will be revealed. 
uh, General Hospital, Jason will help Britt, Michael will target Nina, and Robert will stop at nothing to bring down Peter. And then finally on Young and the Restless, Jill will return to town and make some shocking business decisions, and Phyllis will do some soul-searching about her feelings for Nick and Jack. Well, we also have some happy real-life news to report. Last weekend, General Hospital's Chad Duell, who plays Michael, and YNR's Courtney Hope, who plays Sally, tied the knot in what the bride describes as a Christian Victorian Gothic wedding. It was a star-studded affair with the actors' on-screen relatives Maurice Bernard, Laura Wright, and Eden McCoy, who plays Sonny Carly and Jocelyn in attendance, along with his two most recent leading ladies, Sophia Madsen and Caitlin McMullen, who play Sasha and Willow, uh, among other uh, familiar GH faces. And the bride had plenty of support from her castmates on both B&B and Y&R, including Catherine Kelly Lang, Jennifer Grace, and Katrina Bowden, who are B&B's Brooke, Donna, and Flo. And from Y&R, Tracy Bregman and Hunter King, Lauren and Summer. It was so much fun looking at everyone's Instagram posts about the wedding and just to see how happy Chad and Courtney looked. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing them together about their romance a few years ago for our Valentine's Day issue. And it was just very clear what a sweet and compatible couple they are. So while uh, it seems like happy endings are not in the cards in the short term for their characters, I am certainly thrilled that they have gotten one off camera. Oh, me too. I mean, that wedding looked amazing. And also it looked like everyone had so much fun. Um, and I believe we will be speaking to the newlyweds in a couple of weeks. But our guest today is marking a huge milestone on this very day, uh, 40 years on Days of Our Lives. But he also has the distinction of having the longest running black character in television history. It's daytime Emmy winner James Reynolds, who plays Abe Carver. And I know we are both so excited to talk to him. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very, very well today and now particularly seeing you folks right here in front of me. Well, thank you. Uh, we are just really thrilled to be talking to you today, especially in this week, which is such an exciting week for you as you are hitting quite a milestone today, which is 40 years since you first debuted as Abe, which is just amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? Yes. Who, who would have who thought? <laughs> well, there is so much to talk about, but we're going to start at the beginning. You were raised in Oskaloosa, Kansas, yes. and tell us about growing up there. Well, it, it was interesting growing up there. Um, you know, it, it's small town America at a much more, I don't know if there's any innocent time, but anyway, a little, a little bit more innocent than today. And... Um, uh, it was fun. I mean, it was a small town. When I, when I was there, it was probably around 800 people. It is the county seat. And, um, you know, we'd leave, uh, and I don't even know if this happens in Oskaloosa now, but we'd leave the house at, uh, whenever we got up in the morning and, and have the run of the town and outside the town. And, uh, and so it was a great place for a kid to grow up. You know, we'd, we'd have, um, uh, uh, we'd play cowboys and we'd have all these different things that we'd go out in the woods and and do so it was it was great it was great fun it was great fun we had a had a good time and uh uh you know i, I had two basketball goals in my backyard that i i put up myself in my seven or eight year old body and uh uh it was and you know kids would just go from one place to the other end up at somebody's house and the mothers would give us lunch or something to drink and then we'd be out the door and off again and then by sundown we had to be home 
So you'd hear all these voices echoing around <laughs> the town, you know, come on in, whoever, whoever they were. <laughs> whoever they were yelling for. And so that was that was that was great fun. And you know, yeah, I mean there were there were challenges too, you know, it was that 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 time when um uh, during civil rights that there was, there was a lot going on in the world. And, uh, you know, we certainly weren't immune to it on a, on a much different kind of scale, but, uh, that, that became cumulative as I got older and became more so social, but, uh, a fascinating place to grow up. And we had great, wonderful, wonderful neighbors, very colorful people, uh, that were our immediate neighbors. I had one, uh, uh, old lady, well, old, she's probably younger than I am now, but <laughs> anyway, she was older than me at the time. And uh, she was our, she was across the street on the corner. We lived on a corner about a block from downtown, which doesn't mean anything. But uh, uh, she was, uh, I'm trying to think of her name. I think it was Frances, something or other. And uh, she was just uh, this colorful old uh, woman that lived there. And she, she was writing a book constantly called my life in a one horse town <laughs> and uh her property looked like a jungle because she never cleaned anything up and so there were trees growing and bushes growing and all of that so we had to, you know to get navigate your your way through her property which you had to do to get downtown uh was something and then all three quarters had these these uh these very eccentric women so our uh, other corner if you go caddy corner, the other corner was this big Victorian house, like three-story Victorian house. And that was uh, occupied by the Nancy Helser sisters. And don't ask me how to spell it, because I don't know. <laughs> but the Nancy Helser, they were all t school teachers. There were actually four. One had actually been married. But uh, so she never, she didn't, she wasn't living with the other three sisters. She was there a lot, but she wasn't living with them. And uh, they, uh, the other three had never been married at all. And but they were just sweet, sweet old ladies. So after you graduated from high school, you mm -hmm. entered the Marines and you I even did. served in Vietnam for nearly a year. So tell I us did. about making the decision to go into the military. Well, it was relatively easy, actually, because I've, I've always been a reader because I was sick so many years when when I was young, when I was a young kid. And uh, so I read a lot, a great deal. And um, so I loved history. And that was uh, that was a big part of it, and I was fascinated with history, fascinated with military history and Western history, and all of that. And um, so I I made a belt once in Boy Scout camp that you know those leather belts that you made, and I decided I was going to put all my ambitions on that, most of which had no connection to anything else. And so, but one of them was. Um, I, my ambition was to go to uh, the, the uh, Naval Academy, become a Marine Corps officer and serve in the Marine Corps. That was one of the many. My overriding ambition was to become a writer, which I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned to you all before. And that was really, really what I wanted to do. I wanted to live the life that I thought Hemingway lived. And that was uh, so all of these things had some sort of adventure attached to it. And, and so the Marine Corps was part of that. Uh, I was, however, not a particularly good student. And uh, I, I think it was my, my uh, silent rebellion to the darker side of town 
that led me just not to apply myself at all. I wrote book reports for everybody else because I read so much. I was pretty, pretty accomplished as a writer in those days. So here's this terrible student actually making A's for everybody else. So, <laughs> uh, but when it came time to uh, get out of school, um, I had to make some decisions and I, I was a very good athlete. And uh, I had, I did have some offers to go to college uh, for sports. And uh, so that was a real possibility. And in one little flash of maturity, I realized that, uh, that I probably wouldn't last very long. So, <laughs> so I thought I may need more than a gap year. I may need a gap life perhaps. And uh, so when it came time, um, I realized that maybe I should do something else for a little while. And the Marine Corps recruiter lied to me uh, when I went to visit him. And uh, he told me that I could be a writer because I wanted to be a writer. And he said, you, Marine Corps is perfect for you. you you'll be a, you can be a writer in the Marine Corps. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Lied through his team. But any, <laughs> which I probably knew because I knew a lot about the Marine Corps at that time. But uh, so I enlisted. I actually enlisted while I was in high school, my senior year, because they had they had this delayed recruitment. So you could enlist while you're still in school. And then when you get out, you go. So it turned out that three days after school was over, I was uh, in Kansas City and then raising my right hand and taking the oath and got on the, the plane for San Diego for boot camp. Uh, for those who don't know, if you if you enlist east of the Mississippi River, you go to Paris Island in South Carolina. And if you go west of the Mississippi, you go to San Diego for boot camp. And uh, got on the plane, my first plane trip uh, to San Diego. And, uh, uh, and life sort of began. You know, it was that, that moment I realized many years later, life started for me. I was 17 years old and off to San Diego and off to boot camp. Well, what was your experience as a Marine like, and what was it like to even be in Vietnam? Well, it was, it was uh, the experience, you know, much like life. It, it both had its, its wonderful points and then it had its negative points. And uh, uh, the negatives really weren't as you might think. The, the, uh, the war itself was, uh, was eye-opening and challenging and... Uh, you know, your emotions are going up and down and you're highly uh, afraid at one point and then you're highly excited at another point. And so the adrenaline and the emotions kept going up and down. That was, uh, and in a lot of ways, that's why I joined the Marine Corps. I mean, that's what you do in the Marines. The Marines are there for one purpose and that's really to be in combat. And that's why you qualify on the, the rifle range and keep your physical fitness up. And so it doesn't make any difference really what you're doing. You know, you could be a computer tech, but you have to be uh, combat ready as a Marine. And that was that was the point. Turns out uh, that the recruiter who lied to me, there's no mistake about that. But it turned out that uh, I ended up doing exactly what I wanted to do. They gave us a battery of tests when we first got there. And there were just a couple of openings. And one of those openings was for what they called information services, which was... A journalist. I mean, there are a lot of aspects, different aspects of it, but that was what it was, a journalist. And, uh, and I got a very high score 
And then there was one other guy in our, our outfit, they called them series, uh, but it was basically a company size group of guys that go through boot camp all at the same time. And uh, he and I got uh, very good scores. And we, and uh, uh, so I wrote that at the top of the sheet of paper, what you were supposed to do, that you were, this is what you wanted to do. And I did, and, and I got that assignment. Not only did I get that assignment, but it was in Hawaii. Who could, th- who could imagine? Here I am, this kid from an 800-person town who'd never been farther than Denver. I think we went to Denver once. And, uh, and that was it. Most frequently, it was Kansas City, which was 60 miles away. So here I am, uh, it's just a young kid, 17 years old, off to Hawaii to enter this profession that I really had no idea what it was. I had no idea. I'd never taken a class in journalism or anything. And, um, but here I was starting, starting life. And at that point, it was, and it, was, uh, uh, it, was, it was great, actually, in a lot of ways. So perfect education. Uh, you know, I get these assignments to do fun things. You know, I jumped, well, it wasn't fun, but I jumped out of an airplane, for instance. And, you know, just because I was supposed to, that was the assignment. Go see what this, there was a skydiving club. It wasn't actually part of, uh, there wasn't a, a paratrooper unit where I was stationed, but it was a skydiving club. And, you know, went out and uh, did it. Never did it again. Never wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> One and done. Yeah. One and done. Uh, but that was the kind of thing you learned. You know, you learned it kind of fast. And um, uh, so that was fascinating and, and wonderful. And ended up doing it when I went to Vietnam, it was the same thing. I was, you know, suddenly became a combat correspondent and, and other things. I bodyguarded uh, uh, civilian journalists who were covering the war as well. And, you know, I would go out with them in, in the loose term as their bodyguards, so-called. And, uh, uh, but also assignments that I would go on myself. And you, I'm learning all these things, OJT, on-the-job training. And uh, it, was, it was astounding as a, as a teenager. And uh, I think it served me well later. I, you know, I was, not, I was not a champion of the war. I am not a champion of the war. I was then uh, very much so. And, uh, but, uh, you know, what I saw in things that I read taught me that eh, this might not be the this was not the best national idea we ever had. And, um, but uh, I will admit, and it took me a long time to get there, that it was, uh, it was a very important, very important time in my life and a lot of, a lot of moments that have served me pretty well as time, as time went on. So when you um, exited the military, mm-hmm. you went to college. I did. And you didn't go to study acting. Nope. But somebody gave you a little tip, as I understand it, that you might have better luck meeting the ladies. Uh, yes. I so, okay. So tell us about <laughs> your discovery of your love of acting. Love of acting. Uh, yeah. That was, you know, so many things in my life. I mean, I've, I've, had, a, I've had a really fortunate life in, in so, many, so many ways. I mean, there have always been things along the edges that have been challenging and tough and, and obstacles to get over. But uh, but in spite of all of those, uh, it's it's I've been very fortunate in some way. You know, uh, the war being one of those. I mean, I survived the war, and and uh, 
uh, as so many people didn't. And uh, uh, so that was that was good for I survived my my childhood, my early, you know, being born with whooping cough and, and asthma that a lot of people in those days didn't survive. And in uh, those early years of my life and then learning sports and getting in good shape and kind of not conquering asthma because I had that my whole life. I still do. Uh, and then the, the college decision, which was kind of a little bit taken out of my hands because I had just gotten home. I'd been in, in um, Great Lakes at the hospital there uh, after Vietnam for a while in the hospital uh, for a couple months before I got out uh, of the Marine Corps. So all these things kind of came together. And uh, I was sitting in the student union and met a, a, a guy who, was, who has become one of my best friends uh, over life. In fact, his daughter just got married a couple of weeks ago. And so, so I was going to call you all because I was going to be in New York. Oh. And uh, he lives in Connecticut and his daughter is a, a lawyer in, in NYC. And uh, so we were going to be, we we're going to go for the wedding and it did just didn't work out. I had a lot of scheduling issues as it turned out, but he, he, uh, we became very, very good friends and remain so today, but we had a conversation in the student union and uh, getting to know, you know, just getting to know people and, and uh, was telling him, you know, I, I really want to meet people not having much of a social life and uh, you know where are, where where am I going to meet women other than sitting here with you <laughs> sipping coffee we're gonna he said the theater department I'm a theater major <laughs> and uh, it's, it's it's you know it's the best place in the world to to meet girls and uh, you know come on over we're they're actually auditioning tonight for the first play of the season and I thought okay well I could do that. I did a couple of plays in high school but it was high school you know, and we had, what, 27 people in my class. So it wasn't like it was, <laughs> we weren't going to Broadway from that. <laughs> but I did, and I got a role, uh, as it turned out, a very nice, pretty important role in, in the play, which uh, surprised me, Mad Woman of Shia. And I was the police sergeant in that. And he was right. That was a good place to meet, to meet <laughs> girls, <laughs> which kind of, you know, locked me in. But I was, uh, you know, I, my ultimate intention was to go to law school, become a writer. Uh, journalism was going to be my major, but it was so much fun. And uh, uh, I had thought about actually playing football, too, but uh, this was so much fun fun nobody was hitting me so <laughs> and that was good that was good uh so i did i went over i got the role and um i thought this is this is really pretty cool this isn't this is uh this is nice so that, be that actually became my focus in school and uh, you know i stayed with the classes i was in because uh, uh, why not and uh, so <laughs> i really didn't get the theater classes until the next semester but it was uh, kind of an instant attraction. You know, I often said it's kismet. It was meant to be. And, and uh, you know, I uh, met a lot of young women. I also met what was to become one of the major loves of my life, the theater. That's amazing. Um, so, well, tell us what you did then to make that your reality after school. You know, you charted your path into acting professionally and ultimately made the move to California. Had that all yeah. happen? Yeah, well, that was convoluted as well. As you can tell, a lot of my stories have many tracks to them, and uh, they've never been a straight line. 
there's never been a straight line. But I, I found out many years later that nature doesn't create straight lines and uh, only man does. So if you look at nature, it's, uh, there's no, there is no straight line. And um, uh, so as time went on, I was still pretty restless. Um, you know, the, it was that early love of discovery and travel and all of those things. So I became I was still had that had that going. And uh, another friend stopped by one night because he was on his way to uh, to Brownsville, Texas, to get on an oil tanker and uh, and work on an oil tanker he, from high school. He's a guy I grew up with in in, in Kansas, a couple of years younger than I was. And and I said, oh, that sounds pretty good. He said, yeah, why don't you come with me? You know, I, I bet you I know I could get you a job in that. So I thought, OK, that sounds good. And uh, so I sent out notes to people and made some calls and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, uh, withdraw me from my classes. And uh, my, the head of the theater department was not happy at all with that decision. I'm thinking a lot of people weren't really happy with it. But I put my stuff in the car and we, off we went to Brownsville, Texas. And as it turned out, there was a big hurricane in the Gulf. And uh, so Brownsville was actually inaccessible. I think it was the area around it was flooded. There was a lot of stuff going on. So we got, we eventually got to Houston and um, couldn't get any farther. Just literally couldn't because you couldn't get closer to uh, Brownsville than where we were. And then we got temporary jobs. There's a lot to this story that I will go into greater detail with you again. Also, probably we have a long conversation privately between the three of us, but uh, we ended up in Houston staying in a flop house, literally a flop house. And uh, in Houston, where uh, at, at one point I got threatened at gunpoint by a, uh, there was one bathroom at this flop house we stayed at, at the end of the hallway. It was so bad, there was a big hole in the wall. And so the pipes were exposed and we'd sit there and uh, watch the rats run across the room and uh <laughs> one bathroom at the end of the hallway uh, that everybody had to share uh, and i was unaware of the fact that it, there were families actually families there said i'm very sad to say and uh i i you know i was i was taking it's a little bit of a digression but i was taking a shower in the one bathroom and uh, the door opens and this woman walks in one bathroom and she sees me standing there drying myself off and, and she screams and runs down the hall, slams the door and runs down the hall. And uh, I thought, well, that was, that was a good way to wake up. I'm awake now for sure. The shower didn't do it. I am now. And uh, so I'm dry, continue on my way, drying up. The door opens up, slams against the wall. A man comes in, his pistol pointed right at me. And he was pissed. Yeah, he was really, really pissed that his wife had seen me naked drying off in the one bathroom that we all shared. And uh, you know, you're never more vulnerable than being naked with somebody <laughs> pointing sure. a gun at you. That is, that's no fun. And uh, you know, so I thought, I, I look, look, I didn't mean anything. I was doing everything I could to calm him down, take the temperature down, not get shot and uh, apologize. I was all over the world. 
with that. And so eventually I got him calmed down. I said, okay, you know, I, I'll, I'll make sure that from now, there was no lock on the door. So there, there was no lock on this communal bathroom. Uh, I said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make sure they have a lock on it. I'll do it myself if I have to. And, uh, you know, finally I got him, but that's the kind of place this was. And, uh, so there, I, <laughs> we went along, we got a job in manpower doing bolting down generators for the military at a railroad nearby. Oh, we were stuck there for like a week. And uh, so eventually, eventually I, I told my friend, I said, I think I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> that was I think this has not worked out as well as I had thought it might. Back to school. And I don't like being on the ocean anyway that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went back. It, it, eventually, to make a lot of very long stories uh, short, uh, eventually a friend of mine uh, was um, in Colorado. He was, he was in the Army, actually. And uh, he was in Colorado Springs. So there's this theater here, and they're looking for actors. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're interested in, in leaving uh, and, uh, coming, going anywhere, but, you know, it's open, the possibility is open. So I thought, okay, cool. And, and, and I did, I left again months later, went to Colorado Springs, uh, the theater, um, uh, I thought this is an interesting little kind of summer theater and you could sing and you could dance and it was a much different experience than I had had at school, which was wonderful. Uh, pretty Shakespeare heavy, which was also a good thing. It uh, gave me great training uh, early, early on in that. But I ended up in Colorado Springs where I, once again, uh, just to digress for a second, which I never do. Uh, <laughs> you know this? Uh, I, in the meantime, all this stuff going on, I had become uh, a writer for the local paper called the Topeka Daily Capital. It was a very important paper in, in Kansas and in Topeka. And I had uh, uh, become their, their arts critic and also a feature writer. So I wrote a lot of feature stories and got to interview a number of people, Jack Nicholson and Gordon Parks. And, you know, I, I was actually becoming a, a real journalist there. Uh, yeah, so when he called, I went to Colorado Springs, uh, got a role in this theater, uh, got a job, uh, because obviously this theater wasn't big enough, and got a job with, um, uh, the local paper, the Colorado Springs Sun, another important paper related to the Las Vegas Sun, and um, became their arts critic and a columnist. <laughs> so <laughs> suddenly, and I talked my way into all these jobs. I had no qualification other than, and I'm not that guy, I'm not that salesman guy, uh, but I was able to uh, talk my way into these jobs. And uh, they gave me this job with a big portfolio. And um, I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed my time in the theater. And later ran the theater. The theater was dying. It was dying. And the guy who owned it and ran it just basically said one day, look, why, why don't you, do you mind taking over? Because I, I just, I can't do it anymore. Do you mind running the theater? And I thought, well, it's dying. I guess I can lower it into the grave as well as anybody else can. And uh, so I did. So I became this entrepreneur, theater owner who was running this dying 
theater. We did pretty, we did okay. It, it died eventually, but it, you know, nobody was surprised by that. Wrote for the Sun, later edited a magazine called The Peak. I was hired by uh, somebody else who I ran across and they were looking for an editor. And I said, well, I can do that. Uh, so, <laughs> so I did that as well as the other, the son's job. And a movie came along called Mr. Majestic with Charles Bronson. And that was in town. And uh, they were, uh, it wasn't in town. It was in another town in Colorado. But they were, they were auditioning. And I met the casting director, uh, who was a local caller. He was a former child star, a guy named Richard Erdman. Uh, in, uh, was then living in Colorado, hired me for the movie, and it was only supposed to shoot for three days in La Junta, Colorado, because Charles Bronson was playing a, a, a watermelon farmer, which is, of course, what you think of with Charles Bronson, and, uh, but who uh, the mob was trying to take over the area. And uh, so, you know, nobody stood between the mob and everybody else better than Charles Bronson. And uh, I was to help him escape from jail after he was arrested uh, by the sheriff who was under the pay of the mob. But that gave me the taste of Hollywood. I, I really didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, I was sort of a theater snob in a way by that time, because I'd, I'd worked a little bit in different places by that time, uh, largely doing Shakespeare, but doing uh, other things. And I, so I, I had put off that whole la thing but all these people kept saying you need to come to la you need to do you need to do this and it was so much i was having so much fun with this film and you know you'd walk up to the window every morning and get your per diem and you get it was like a hundred dollars a day 120 dollars wow this is pretty cool <laughs> and they'd send a driver to me and take me out to where we were shooting it was a, a farm outside of town and everybody was nice and all the people on the on the set were a little bit crazy, but it really appealed to me a lot. And uh, Al Terry, who was the, the bad guy, he was the villain, uh, who had become a, a pretty big name because of The Godfather. And uh, uh, he was one of the stars of The Godfather. And uh, so he decided that I was going to be his, he was going to take me under his wing, this kid. And uh, which I, you know, was all for. <laughs> Al knew no rules. There were no rules ever applied to him. And uh, so he would do things like go to the, the bar, which wasn't too far from where we were. And um, uh, the, the producer would come into uh, town and Al had promised that he wouldn't drink and he wouldn't, you know, do anything untoward. And uh, so he'd sneak off to the bar and he, he'd come to me and say, kid, kid, don't tell him where I am. Don't let, don't let him know where I am, kid. Good with me, and uh, so he off to the the bar, and they'd be looking for them. You know, I knew where he was, but I promised I wouldn't say anything. So it was great. I just had a great time. So when that was over, I thought, okay, well, let's. Uh, it's time to give Hollywood a shot. And uh, a good friend of mine, who we were roommates actually in Colorado Springs, I had met him. Uh, I gave him a terrible review. I didn't give him a terrible review. I gave the play. I gave him a, a sterling review, but the play was horrible. It was Dracula. And uh, he's in my, the headline on the piece was Dracula dies and none too soon. And, <laughs> <laughs> Good one. 
<laughs> it was I it was not the headline right but uh it was uh it was fun it was fun i had a great time and i thought well this boy this is what life is like then i'm it's all it's made for me let's go Sign me up <laughs> yeah all right, so, so let's fast forward to yes. the fall of 1981 mm -hmm. and uh you are cast on days of our lives i am you play the role of abe carver you told me recently that you found out later that someone else was either close to getting the part or maybe even somebody had, else actually the part, had the part but that you thinking. felt that betty corday yeah. really had a vision of you as abe and maybe advocated for you um yeah. what gave you that impression and, and i'd love to hear like a betty story because i don't <laughs> get to do that very often well betty was great betty um you know, she could not have been better to me. Uh, she uh, she happened to be friends with my agent, and nobody uh, at at that point nobody wanted to see me. I just wrapped up a, a show on CBS called Time Express with Vincent Price, uh, and that was the only the only series that Vincent Price had ever done, the only TV series. And I, I it was a great that also was a great experience. I was the young guy on that, and it. It was about a train that took you back in time to relive a negative experience and hopefully improve it and make it better. And I was the conductor on the train. Vincent Price was sort of God. He was the head of the line. We called him the head of the line. And Coral Brown, his wife, was Mrs. Head of the Line, I guess. But they, uh, um, so my role was to escort all these people through that moment of their life. And I would check in on them and see what was going on and you know how are you doing and the head of the line wants me to tell you this so it was great it was wonderful i was throughout the show young guy on the show and uh but mork and mindy killed us <laughs> which happened also to be new but it was the first half hour of the show and uh it was unfortunate that uh you know that happened but for me personally it was a great experience days i had never done a daytime show there was another show uh, that I was still won't name that had offered uh, a role to me, uh, but there were a variety of reasons that I didn't feel this was the thing to do, um, and uh, it was a horrible name for a black character. I can give you that much. Uh, I did not care for, uh, didn't care for that, and um, so I, I thought, you know, fine. I, I they don't, they don't, didn't really mean anything to me. Uh, they couldn't get me in. My agent couldn't get me in. They saw lots of people. Uh, saw this guy who's a wonderful actor, by the way. Uh, I, I know him very well, and he's really, really good. And um, apparently, he had, I, I think he had been offered the role. I think he, uh, it was already pretty much a done deal. Uh, but she got me in at the end of the day, and I think they did it as a favor because they had already, they, they knew who they wanted. So. No big deal for them. So they saw me. And I, for some reason, everything changed. And I think a lot of it had to do with Betty. And um, and uh, I, I think also Sherry. I think Sherry had something to do with it, too, at that time. And the uh, uh, head writer at the time, uh, I think they all kind of shared in in that. And they kind of made some alterations to the character, the description of the character. and. Uh, I had the role by the time I got home. Yeah, James they, uh, Reynolds, Tim Up. Yes, yes. And I was the only person for a long time who um, didn't test. 
you know, didn't test for a role because it was just such a short period. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, they, they really, I remember they asked me, and this was, a, and I was meeting the, I'd met the casting director and I went pretty much from that meeting into meeting the producers and the writers. And that's usually down the road a little bit. Uh, and uh, so I, I uh, uh, you know, I didn't feel one way or the other about it. It was nice and went well. And they asked me, can you remember lines? Are you good at, are you a fairly quick study? And I said, oh yeah, and I was. Uh, so that was absolutely true. But I, but a day later, I got these stacks of scripts delivered to me. And I went, oh my God, what did I get myself into? What is this? Uh, so, uh, so I started learning these scripts literally on Friday. And I, my first day was going to be Monday. Uh, so I thought, I, well, I need to get as far ahead of these as I can. And also in those days, it's a little different now, you were loaded up. When you were new, you were loaded up with story and scripts. And my character was supposed to be in tandem with, with Wayne Northrop, who became Roman, with his character. And they were lifelong friends who, who basically grew up together. And uh, they were supposed to uh, appear suddenly two sergeants two police we were both police sergeants at the time and uh so I, I showed up about six weeks before wayne i think just about six weeks ahead of him and um so it was it was uh it was kind of all on me in the beginning to get this story up and get it going and and make it work and um it was great i mean i never forget john clark and and uh, bill hayes were both very very helpful to me and just uh, really could not have been better in those early days. And you all know, well, you know them both, but John's not with us anymore, unfortunately. But Bill is just, uh, you know, still maintains that quality that he had then, uh, which is great. And got through it, you know, got through that first week, which was overwhelming. Got through that first day, which is overwhelming. I, I had a keen eye ever since for people on their first day. Because I don't care who it is, they are all very nervous, and you know they're out of their element. It just they're out of their element, and uh, you have to figure out a way to get through it. And I did, and I loved what I was doing. It was great, you know, a lot of adventure early. That early romantic uh, uh, stage with uh, the Valerie Grant character mm -hmm. that uh, now Vanessa or Vanessa Williams is playing, and. Um, so it was, it was great fun, and I thought, this is pretty good. For the next year, I'm going to enjoy being here, which is what I thought. Right. <laughs> exactly. Notes right. on you. Yeah. Uh -huh. There were moments in that first uh, few days, though, I thought, hey, won't he is, this isn't even, even going to take a year. I'm going to be <laughs> out of here. They, they were going to get me out of here. <laughs> I'm going to come out, and they're going to say, ah, sorry, this isn't working. <laughs> so don't get too comfortable. Right. So it was a, it was a great, wonderful experience. Well, just to put your day's debut in a larger soap context, you know, you hit the screens a few weeks prior to Luke and Laura's wedding on General Hospital, yes. which grew 30 million viewers. Yeah. So we're definitely having a cultural moment at the time. And as the decade went on, you know, Days entered the super couple era and was like the biggest show in daytime. Yeah. And Days stars were rock stars. So what was it like for you to experience that and 
meet the public and go out on appearances. Yeah. Well, that was extraordinary. I, you know, it really was. The 80s, as I call us, the 80s bunch, uh, who uh, many of us are still around mm -hmm. uh, of that bunch and uh, uh, kind of changed the landscape of TV. And uh, you're right. The Luke and Laura wedding happened during that time. Millions of viewers uh, wherever we went. And I had no idea. I had no idea that the daytime audience was that that large and that vocal and uh, that daytime was that important to the overall landscape of television and film. No idea whatsoever. And so we would go places. You know, I remember an appearance in Las Vegas specifically, 10,000 people. And uh, I don't remember, it wasn't the convention center, but it was a large, um, big venue uh, to accommodate that number of people. Never forget that. I'll never forget that. Um, I remember talking to Peter Reckle, and he had just been to Alaska, which interestingly became important to him later because his wife, Kelly, is from Alaska. Of course, they didn't know each other then, but he was making an appearance in Alaska, or like three or four, and literally he was, he was overwhelmed, uh, shocked by the people that would meet him at the airport on each, on each jump. Uh, and, and that was the experience. We'd be you'd be chased down the street. That happened a lot. You know, I'd be out uh, with somebody and literally get chased down the street by people. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a rock star era. It was, it was that, I mean, people would come up and I remember this, this man walked up to me and uh, took something off my jacket and, uh, you know, I, I wonder, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't touch me like that. And uh, so he, but it was, it was a piece of lint that he was taking home to his wife. That, that was. <laughs> this is lint from Abe Carver's jacket. A piece of lint from Abe yeah. Carver's jacket. It was, it was really, it was overwhelming. It, it, you know, those moments and not a lot of people have had the, the honor, I guess, of uh, experiencing that kind of popularity, but it was, it was something. It was really something. Now, when I interviewed you for the magazine, James, we talked about how uh, when you first started in, in daytime, mm -hmm. there was a real paucity of roles for actors yes. of color. And yes. that frequent, they kind of came and went with greater frequency than other characters, yeah. maybe, maybe just one contract. When did you start to notice that like, you were starting to carve out a little bit of a place in history for yourself? Yeah. Because you had a longevity that no one prior to you had had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that, uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, it, there, there was there was nobody. <laughs> there was literally nobody. Uh, all my children uh, led, the, led the pack with uh, Debbie and, and Darnell, and uh, they had a very very strong presence of uh, of actors of color, black actors in particular, and uh, th they were doing things that other shows weren't doing. Um, Young and the Restless, a little bit, not as much. And uh, the other shows just kind of brought it up. There, were, there was a popular story on uh, General Hospital, I believe, uh, during that time. But what was, what was common is that, uh, and what was common and what stayed common for many, many years is they would kind of chew up actors of color and bring them in for one contract 
usually two or three years, and spit them out, and they were done. And then maybe another a year would pass or a couple of years, and then they'd bring in another two uh, actors of color who were definitely going to be involved with each other. My understanding, and I don't know this for a fact uh, because I didn't witness it, that one of the New York-based soaps had brought in several actors, several black actors, and uh, had um, all of whom were not family members and were not, the characters weren't family members and were not related to each other, but they all lived in the same house. Uh, (laughs) Because that was convenient. Didn't have to build another set. Just everybody live in that same house and, you know, whatever happens with stories and they all, pretty much we're always involved in the same stories, hardly ever interacting with the uh, white actors. So I noticed that, you know, I'd say certainly by the end of my uh, second contract that this was a little, little days was doing it a little, little bit differently, at least as far as my character had was concerned. There were people brought on periodically, uh, specifically involved in A, Babe was involved in, in other stories, sometimes leading story, often supporting the story. Um, and, uh, and that was an issue that became a real issue. It became an issue for me. And I, I, you know, I wrote letters to people and talked to people and, and, uh, uh, hopefully trying to, trying to make as much change as possible, uh, as we could. The one thing I noticed, and, uh, I've mentioned this now to several people, just actually this in the last day or so, because I've received so much so much, uh, so many warm uh, greetings and so much support that no actor of color was ever allowed to grow older on day in daytime TV. In nighttime, it, it just wasn't happening at all in nighttime. Uh, you know, I mean, you get shows, you know, the Cosby show in the 80s, and you had these shows that, uh, that did well. Uh, I think CBS did a knockoff of Cosby and you know, so there was nothing original. Nobody was doing anything original at that point. And, um, and no characters were, were allowed to grow older. No characters were really allowed to build a following. Audiences that would support, for whatever reason, actors of color in stories weren't allowed to see them enough to, uh, to be a supporter of theirs. They weren't allowed to be attached to these characters. It just wasn't happening. And uh, at that point, Days was, uh, uh, that was happening with Abe on Days. However, at the time, also, um, Abe, Abe was, uh, his, his character was, uh, was being pushed back into uh, the back burner a bit as well. So when that started to happen, uh, Generations came knocking on the door. Well, NBC knocked on the door, which was, uh, you know, the same with Days, which was a great compliment and asked me to go over to uh, Generations. And since not a lot at that point was going on with, with Days, and there were other actors of color on the show then as well. Uh, and uh, I thought, well, why not? Why not go over there and, and basically lead the show? and uh, you know, be a, 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 a more fun and and better for me, and it was a very welcoming in, environment. However, Al Raven, who was producing Days at that time, was very clear that 
the uh, door was always going to be open at days of our lives. He made, he made a point of being very clear about that. And uh, I was uh, extremely happy mm -hmm. about that as well. Uh, Generations was a tremendous experience for me. I loved every minute of that. Uh, and, uh, and when it, when it went off, when it was fine, when it was canceled, um, I, I wasn't, uh, from a personal standpoint, I was very unhappy from the standpoint of the show. I, did, I loved that show, thought it had a tremendous future. I feel if certain things had gone a different way, it would still be on the air today and probably experiencing quite a heyday, I, I, I would think. Uh, but so I, I kind of voluntarily stayed uh, out of work for a while. I mean, I was working, I was doing some guest things. And uh, so I, I, fortunately, ever since I came to California, I had, I had really never been out of work for very long at all. Uh, I had two other series before days, actually, night, nighttime shows. Uh, but when days called, uh, you know, I thought, well, I think it's time. <laughs> it's been like six months of, you know, part-time twiddling my thumbs and sometimes going off to, to do a project somewhere. And, uh, and they were very, it, days has always been very supportive, always. And, uh, so when I came back, there was a new emphasis on, on Abe and, um, uh, then, this other character who came along, new character on the canvas called Lexi. And uh, that became a, a, a new era, a new era for Abe Carver at that point. Yeah. Well, through Abe's marriage to Lexi, I mean, a lot of stuff went on with him. You a lot know, of stuff. he became the son in law <laughs> of Stefano and Celeste. You yes. were involved in a very memorable baby switch when Lexi took a little turn to the dark side. Yes. Um, yes. But, and I think something that we saw in this special episode was that Abe and Lexi had a lot of problems, but they it's really measured those. So when you look back at, you know, the relationship that Abe and Lexi had, plus the relationship you had with Renee Jones, you know, what yes. stands out to you, her portrayal? Yes. Well, it's, you know, that was, that was a blessing as well. As I said, I've, I've had, uh, nothing's been in a straight line, but I've had so much good fortune along the way and that was that was another example of that you know what a blessing um that uh, cindy gossett originated the role of uh, of lexi and uh for a couple of years i believe and uh and so that was uh in in fact lexi did come on the canvas before i went to generations and so abe and lexi actually eloped to chicago and I always joke and say that we got married at a truck stop on the way to <laughs> Chicago because nobody knows anything about the wedding. It was off screen. It was, uh, he didn't see either one of us for quite some time mm -hmm. after that. So when Abe came back, Abe and Lexi were married by that time. And um, Renee had come back as, um, oh, Renee had been there before, actually, as a character called Nikki Wade. She was... Um, she was Abe's secretary. And she was kind of this rich, spoiled little girl who uh, uh, was getting her introduction to the real world by being Abe's secretary in the police office. And, uh, uh, you know, I, gosh, I've had literally hundreds of clips sent to me uh, on Twitter in the last 48 hours or 72 hours. 
And uh, it's astounding. And they, uh, one of them was uh, with Lexi. I think it was a 4th of July celebration. And man, I mean, Renee looks like she's 12 years old. And that <laughs> looks, like, looks like Abe should have been arrested at that point. Himself. <laughs> but it was lovely because we had, a, we, we, we had such a natural kinship and, uh, and, and kind of shared experiences. She was br uh, brought up in South Carolina, a small town. She lived a lot of her life in New York, in New York City, but, um, but in that small town in South Carolina. And, uh, uh, so we had that in common and kind of the same sensibilities to to uh, a large degree and uh, so that it was it was a friendship that was uh that was very natural and very easy and I, and I think to some degree we were both somewhat easy going and so it it worked very very well uh and I think that underpinned everything and that's what made the difficult times for Abe and Lexi easier for us to go through and easier for the audience to accept. Uh, and there were a lot of difficult times. Actually, before Abe and Lexi, even though uh, Bo and Hope went through this, before uh, Abe and Lexi, you know, marriage was a, a, a death knell for, uh, <laughs> for a daytime couple. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen very often. I mean, multiple marriages happened, but they never lasted. They never really stayed al uh, alive. But the writers on Days had discovered ways of, uh, of making sure that these couples stayed viable, mm -hmm. uh, even though marriage had been considered, you know, this, once they're married, it's over, it's done. Uh, and, but that wasn't, the, that wasn't the case with these characters. And so because of the super, super couple era, there were a lot of characters that uh, was natural that they stayed attached to each other. To, no matter what, the ups and downs. And Lexi took this really, really dark turn because it was discovered that Stefano was her father, mm -hmm. which was wonderful from a story point of view. It was just really fantastic. And Abe and Stefano never saw eye, and eye, eye to eye, never got along. Abe was uh, so morally uncompromised uh, that he had, uh, would have nothing to do with Stefano could never see him or understand him. And that's even after they kind of reached uh, uh, perestroika. <laughs> they kind of came to this place where they had its understanding. And uh, it just, uh, uh, and so they existed in this, this kind of turbulent coexistence you know, that Abe took up because his, that was his wife's father. Right. And his, his mother-in-law's former lover. I mean, there were a lot of connections with that. And uh, so he knew he had to find a way of, of dealing with this, which wasn't always easy for Abe. But that struggle became uh, kind of key to the Abe and Lexi story going forth. And yes, they uh, engineered the kidnapping of Bo and Hope's child. And uh, another one of the many firsts, actually, in television that not only Abe was engaged in, or, or me, I guess, and uh, uh, but Abe and Lexi were engaged in. I mean, a white child adopted by a black couple really didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, that never happened before on daytime TV, uh, unless you look at different strokes, which is a whole different thing, which I happened to. You did, yeah. I did. I did a couple times actually. Uh, so um, that was that was uh, that was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. 
and but worked very well and worked really well as a as a story as something to to delineate uh, that story and that struggle between these two people and then of course the uh, the eventually Abe and Lexi had their own child and uh, that was uh, there were a lot of adventures with that as well absolutely well when Ron Carlovati took over as head writer of the show mm -hmm. uh, one of his first major stories involved the very son you're talking about and his right. shooting and mm -hmm. for your work in that storyline you wound up where else the daytime Emmy podium, accepting the lead actor award. Yeah. And since then, we've, we've seen, you know, yet more expansion of Abe's family and his storyline life. His daughter, Lonnie, married Eli and they had twins. And there have you know, been some bumps in the road in the love life, which oh, I'm yeah. sad to say I don't think are over, but he is now engaged <laughs> to Paulina, played by Jack K. Harry, who yes. you had actually crossed paths with when you guest starred on 227 in the 80s. So tell us about working with the one, the only Jack K. Harry. Well, that's uh, that that's been great. That that has been wonderful. And, and you're right uh, about. I'll, I'll talk about Jack K. in just a moment. But I just wanted to touch on Ron. Uh, you're right. He's he has brought a, a different sensibility to uh, to to Abe. I think to the show in general, but to Abe in particular. And he told me. Uh, we met uh, when Ken got his star um, on Hollywood Boulevard and Ron said, you know, I, I want my first story to be uh, about Abe and, and uh, his struggles. And so it not only became uh, a story that was timely and perfect because, it, you know, Theo uh, is autistic. And um, uh, so the challenges of dealing with an autistic child, as Abe and Lexi were, uh, was a key part of a key part of what had been going on and part of their journey together, but um, it, but in very high functioning autistic child, uh, but also we were dealing with the epidemic of shootings of young black men by the police, unarmed young black men by the police, and this story played right into that. And what Ron did, I think was actually brilliant, uh, was he wrapped this story in family and in friendship. So it mirrored what was going on in reality, what was going on around the country in reality, but at the same time brought it down to a much more personal level. And here the young man who, who shot his son was like a son to Abe. He, uh, he, when actually when his parents, when Jack was gone, Abe stepped in many times to counsel and, uh, and help with JJ. And, uh, and so that shooting took on different, different aspects that I, I think and hope made people think about it in different ways around the country. Uh, and, uh, and that was a, a brilliant way of doing it. And, um, uh, so many people respond and he involved the entire, the entire community of Salem was involved in this. A lot of people were involved in this story and seeing how Kate was involved, for instance. And, um, I love doing, uh, Missy and I have worked together in strong ways before. And so it was great that we had yet another moment that we could share as 
two actors who enjoyed working together and, and doing that. And so that, that, was, uh, that, that was really tremendous. And yes, uh, uh, when I saw that story and I thought, eh, may, might be some Emmy time here. Maybe, we'll see, see what I can do. Uh, so that was, that, was, that was great. That was wonderful. Uh, and what I, what I, and I told him in my Emmy speech, and I mean that it was just, it was a gift. It was a great gift. The, uh, you know, and then yet another gift <laughs> is Jack Hayhair. And uh, see how I segued on that. I just, it was, <laughs> I've learned that over the, last, the last 40 years, 50 years, I hate to say. But um, she's just been wonderful to work with. For one thing, she's extremely professional. She's, she's on top of it. Uh, she loves what she does. She's run the gamut of uh, of entertainment. She's you know she's done Broadway, she's film and TV, and of course she's so well known for television and the uh, the shows that she has been the bright spot of comedically. But as she tells me, I do drama too. So <laughs> and she does, and she does it very very well. And um, uh, it, it's it's great to have this to form this relationship with her, and I and I I think a, a good amount of chemistry. You know, part of uh, part of working together with anybody is uh, is the chemistry that exists between you, and it's not only with with love interests, whatever that love interest may be, but it's you know with the characters you play. I've been very important, uh, very uh, pleased that important characters in Abe's life have been people that I, as, as James, can work with and, and like and share friendships with. Uh, that's true with all the Romans and, and uh, Marlena and uh, Bo, and it just goes down, just down the line. Hope so many different people. Uh, but particularly for those love interests that have come in, uh, there have been times when those love interests have been around for a day. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, that day you have to create some kind of bond. Uh, it, it's very easy with Jack A. We share, we share some uh, similar experiences. Uh, we know some of the same people. And so that makes it very easy. But working with her on stage, I know that I'm getting a lot back, that she's giving me a great deal back in each one of those scenes. And um, so I, I look forward to those every day and yes we've had a very bumpy road which i am grateful for uh the, the worst thing in the world would be for the two of us to settle into some smooth uneventful relationship because for one thing it's not very interesting and <laughs> to start off with and the other it gives us both something to chew on constantly mm -hmm. Um, well, earlier this week, Days did honor your anniversary with a special show that saw Abe fighting for his life, having a celestial yes. reunion with Lexi, and deciding that he wanted to live. We're very glad he made that decision. Um, <laughs> you know, what does it yeah, mean living's to you? good. What does it mean to you that the show did this, and really to see how excited the fans are too, and just the outpouring of love? I imagine you're getting this week. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. It really is. It's just astounding. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I promise people that in one way or another, I'll get pro probably be a lot of likes coming <laughs> up this week because I can't write a note to everybody. I've written a note to uh, some people and I will write one to some others, but 
you know, be, I'll be liking a lot of things. And the Lisa who does our, my wife, who does the Instagram says this, exactly the same thing. So we've, we've talked through that and how to respond to people and, and do those things. So people will be at least liked. And there've been so many, it's just so many. Uh, it's extraordinary. I mean, you, you get that, uh, you know, I know you, you get uh, people like and dislike what you do as they do with what I do, but uh, not a negative note. Just everything has been so, so extraordinarily positive through this and overwhelming. You're right. Uh, just the numbers to today. I mean, you know, I, I get up and I had something to do earlier today, but, you know, I was, wasn't able to check everything right away. But, uh, you know, I'm looking through uh, texts and emails and Twitter and all of that. And boy, it's just uh, it's just astounding. I actually sent out one email. Uh, just because it's a moment I am proud of. Is I, I don't do that very often. I'm one of the world's worst self-promoters in the world. But, uh, but I, 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 I did feel this was important for me anyway, and I, I wanted to share it. So I did send out a lot of emails to people I've known over the years, and, and they've, they've responded, almost every one of them. But uh, so many fans from around the world uh, who uh, have constantly been there and been silently supporting, and I didn't know it until until now. Uh, you know, all those people that chased me down the street back in the eighties uh, are still. <laughs> they've got their phones now to to chase me with, and uh, I'm I'm so appreciative and and feel so so warm about it and so supportive. It's it's. Just incredible that one one human being's life can uh, can possess so much that's that's positive in it. It's uh, it, it humbles me, and uh, and I don't use that lightly. I'm I'm always kind of astounded by, and I've been talking a lot during this meeting with the two of you, but uh, with athletes who go on and talk about how great they are and then they talk about how humble they are do you think no you're not <laughs> you're not you just spent an hour talking about how wonderful you are now you're saying you're humble you can't do that but i am humbled by this yeah i am terrifically humbled by this so we've talked about how remarkable it is that you have the title for playing the longest running black character on television but yeah. on top of that you are the first and only actor of color in this genre to hit the 40 year mark. Yeah. So yeah. what does your unprecedented longevity mean to you? Cause it's, it's very impressive. It is, it is. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it means so much. It, it really does. You know, you learn to uh, use it, throwing around the word humble earlier. You learn that sometimes your presence uh, means more to people and situations outside of your bubble. And, uh, and I have learned that over the years. Uh, one of the great pleasures I have, which happens a lot, and I'm actually still taken aback, is when young actors come up to me and, and say that I was their inspiration for becoming actors. Or, or in that case, directors sometimes, or writers. Uh, I've had all that happen, and that, that is really an astounding feeling. And I, I think it's, it's something that demands that I keep it in perspective. And, um, 
you know, actually use my daily life to enhance that impression in, in any way that I can. Yeah, uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Black actors, actors of color in general, were not allowed to grow old on daytime. This weren't, if they weren't the young, hot character, uh, you, weren't, you weren't allowed to be on, you weren't allowed to be on daytime, number one. But you weren't, you certainly weren't going to be allowed to be, to grow old. That was not going to happen. And uh, Days has invested itself in allowing Abe and Lexi uh, to do that. Uh, to actually mature uh, in a way that other characters do. There, there's been, there's never really been an issue of white characters growing old and carrying, and carrying story and keeping story alive. Never been, never been a problem in daytime at all. Not true with, with actors of color. So to be the person who uh, now embodies that and defines that uh, means the world to me means so much and means that there's another level in which I can hopefully inspire other people. I hope that there's somebody out there who's, who's thinking, well, you know, I was going to give up the business the other day. I just turned 50 and I, I don't know. Uh, I hope this is giving them some inspiration and say, you know, maybe, maybe I can, because that's been a glaring, that's been a glaring absence over all these years. Uh, and uh, and I I'm and there have been now in the last ten years or so uh, actors of color who have who have come on to shows who are older, and that's that's a good place to start because it just didn't happen unless you were going to be subservient in some way, unless you were going to be the friend of, you know that's that's what would go that's the conversation that uh, black actors had. Not only, not only would you, were you going to be the first killed off <laughs> if you were gonna be in a movie that had any adventure to it, but you were always gonna be the best friend of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to find um, how that's changed over the years uh, is gratifying. And to think that I may have had some role in that is gratifying. I mean, my character's gone through that too at times, but one, one advantage of longevity is that you do have ups and downs and some of it's very natural. Some of it has no impetus behind it other than, you know, there's nothing going on at the moment, but something will be soon. And um, that's the way I feel now. I feel, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not lost and forever buried uh, in, the, in the hall closet. Uh, only to be brought out at holidays, and uh, uh, so I, I, that's 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 a wonderful change, and uh, I'm very happy, and I'm I'm inspired by that as well. It makes you want to do uh, better work, and you know, I, I, like you, uh, what we what we all do is uh, we can look at our work and think, well, I can do that a little bit better. I can write that column a little better next week. And I was talking to Susan Hayes. You know, I said, do you, you know, I, I, I don't do this as often as I used to, but I still find moments where I beat myself up in the car on my way home for what I didn't do on set today. And she said, yeah, absolutely. And I realized that, yeah, everybody, 
if you, if you're in, if you, if you love what you do, if you love what you do, if you want to do what you do more than you want to do anything else, then you've got to have those moments because that's what you're seeking. You're seeking not perfection as much as you're seeking to do it better than you did it before. And uh, that, that's one of the advantages I have. But I, I am so happy to have been around and on the scene, the daytime scene for 40 years, the acting theater scene for 50 years. Oh my God in heaven, there are people. <laughs> you know, now I used to say, well, there's people that say, how long have you been on the show? And, well, longer than you've been on the earth. And that's, <laughs> that's a scary, it used to scare me to death to say that. Right. And now it doesn't, but it used to. Well, it's such an incredible milestone. Uh, Mara and I sang your praises on the podcast last week when we were oh, talking about her feature that thank came you. out. And both, both of us are just so personally thrilled to know you as we do and professionally thrilled to see you still thriving. Oh. And for anyone listening, November will be very big in the life of Abe Carver, so be sure to tune in. Um, but we thank you today for all your time and look forward to seeing what's next. Well, I, I love it. Thank you so much. And Self-Digest has been just so uh, gracious to me over the years, and, and I have appreciated If I haven't expressed that before, um, it's high time I did. And uh, the support from uh, Self-Digest, I think it's been a key factor in uh, in my longevity and success and and that of Abe. Uh, I think we both thank you for that. It was so great to talk to you and see you, thank Jim, you. and have a great day. Congratulations on just such an amazing milestone. You guys too. You're just so lovely and it's just great to talk to the two of you and you make my day every time I, I hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to James Reynolds for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>